I want to jump right into our conversation today on as it is in heaven. We went a little long there, and uh, so I don't have as much time today, which is fine with me. I, I always want to make sure and be clear, we're here for Jesus and not for Chad. Make sure you, make sure you guys are okay with that. If I don't have much time to preach, but he shows up and touches people, then that's super exciting for me. So uh, that, he's the focal point. There's one Messiah, and his name is Jesus. There's one Lord, his name is Jesus. There's one Savior, his name is Jesus. So he gets all the glory and all the praise and all the focus. And if you want more preaching, man, the internet is abounding with sermons. You can listen to messages to your heart's content. I do want to mention this, though, as we're talking about as it is in heaven it's so important for us to continue to build a foundation of our belief system, especially in this time in history. Our theological positions on what the Bible says and not merely on what we think, not merely on what we feel or what our church says or what someone else said, someone posted on Facebook, uh, what we experience we have to ground our foundation of our beliefs in the Word of God. That no matter what, it's what it says is what we live by. So this is why we value the Word of God here at the Rhodes Church, and we get excited when we open them up. So if you've got those Bibles, let's open them up today to Matthew chapter 6. Woo! Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to skip some stuff just for time's sake and get right into what I feel like the Lord wants to do today which is not what I had prepared, which is becoming a theme. Pray for me. Either I'm not hearing from the Lord very well or he's wanting to do something different and uh, adjusting on the fly, but I say not hearing very well. I think there's just certain things that he's wanting to do within the realm of what uh, we've prepared and not all of it. So let's go with that. Matthew chapter 6. Uh, before we do that, let's just pray. Jesus, I love you and I thank you for the word. Lord, I just give you liberty. Holy Spirit, come and teach us. Bring this word alive into our hearts that what we say is what you want said, that what's done here is what you want done, just as it is in heaven. So, Lord, I, I yield to you. I yield my mind to you, my mouth to you. Holy Spirit, come. Show us you. In Jesus' name. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to just start reading verse 9. <coughs> what, what verse was that? Yeah, that was called 9. In verse 9, it says, In this manner, therefore pray, Our Father in heaven. Where's our Father? In heaven. Hallowed or holy be your name. So he's talking about context here, our Father in heaven, holy be your name. So verse 10, when he says your, it's referring to our Father in heaven. So your kingdom come. Whose kingdom? Our Father in heaven's kingdom. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We talked about that last week, again, Omahi, on earth as it is in heaven. So your kingdom, Lord, come, your will be done. So the the will of the kingdom of heaven is what we're wanting to come and be done on the earth. God's plan, God's purpose, his, his thoughts, his will, that's what we're wanting to happen. So this is what Jesus told us to pray. And I think, I don't know about you, but maybe when we're young, sometimes we're not taught how to pray other than 
Uh, and now I just went blank with the, the prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, give my supper to Cousin Jake or something like that. <laughs> I don't think that's word for word, but you know what I'm saying? So we, we learn these prayers. <laughs> we, we learn these prayers, and I guess maybe there's, I'm trying to be gracious here, there's maybe nothing wrong in the grand scheme of it, but if we think that's the extent of interacting with God, then we're mistaken. So Jesus is teaching us how to pray, and uh, he's telling us, here's what we should be praying. Father in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done. So the question we've got to ask ourselves, are we praying for the will of God to be done in our life, or are we just praying, trying to convince God to do what we want done? And a lot of times we think that that's what praying is. Praying, praying is saying, God, please do this. God, do that. God, please do that. And, and also do that. And do that. If you please give us that. 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 Sound familiar? And then we just say, amen. And hope it works. It's like a coin toss. Just throw it up there. It's like Hail Mary. You know where that phrase come from, Hail Mary? It came from the prayer. It's like, well, it's just a prayer. Throw it up there. Like it's, it's not likely that they're going to catch it. It's just a Hail Mary. It's a wrong concept of prayer. Like prayer is a guesswork and a wonderment. And Jesus said, no, that's not how I want you to pray. I want you to pray that your kingdom come, your will be done. So we're not trying to pray that God will do what we want. We're praying, we're learning to pray what his will is and praying it into the earth. Knowing what his will is and praying that into the earth, into our circumstances. So here's what I felt like the Lord wanted to focus on today in the time that we have. <clears throat> Question for you. Did Jesus know the will of the Father? Did he know what God wanted to do? Let me, let's give some scripture. Again, we base everything on the, on the Bible, not just what we think. We think Jesus knew. Well, let's, let's see what the Bible says. John 4.34 says, Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Here's the, here's the plan of Jesus. Here's the goal of Jesus. He said, this is why I'm here. My food is even to do the will of the Father. Remember when he told the disciples, he said, I have food that you know not of? When they were in Samaria and they went off to the village and, and went to get food, and they brought back, Jesus, we got some food. And he said, you know, I got food you don't even know about. What was that mysterious food? It was to do the will of the Father. I get nourishment, Jesus said, from doing what God wants me to do. I get strengthened from doing what God wants me to do. Wow, what a novel idea. So he said that's, that's how big, that's important it is to him is that his will, his uh, food is to do the will of God, and to finish his work. This is so important for us to understand that Jesus recognized the Son of God, that his purpose on the earth was to finish the work of God, not for God to bless his work. Here's where we get things twisted up a little, time, a little bit. Is sometimes we think that we've got a purpose and a calling and a vision and a whatever on our life, and, our, and God's supposed to bless that. Our objective on this earth is to finish his work, not promote mine. It's not I pray so that God raises me up and gives me promotions and sets me in great places and, and just supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus as long as it's what I want him to do. 
It's not so that I can have this certain job. And My purpose on this earth is to finish his work. But people will say, well, what if I don't like that? I promise you, if you will fulfill his work and do what he wants, he knows us better than we know ourselves. If I will submit to his plan for my life, I will find more fulfillment than chasing after every possible career option based on benefits, packages, and salaries. We're going to find fulfillment. So he said, this is what I do. I live to do the will of the Father. John 8, 29 says this, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. I always do those things that please him. All right, so what did Jesus say? He said, my, my food is even to do the will of the Father, and I always do what pleases him. So is Jesus, does Jesus know the will of God? Does he do the will of God? So here's the question I have. Mm. Jesus is our example on how, to, how do we choose his will and be willing to die to ours? Because how many knows this? Here's a statement that I jotted down. On earth as it is in heaven involves submitting our on earth preferences to his in heaven will. I'm going to say it again. Our on earth as it is in heaven, remember pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our on earth as it is in heaven involves submitting our on earth preferences to his in heaven's will. How do we do that practically? I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Matthew 26. I don't have a lot of time for this today, so I'll get through as much as we can. We may skip some stuff, but I believe the Lord will do a work. Come, Lord Jesus. Matthew chapter 26, have you found it? Okay, I'll let the rest of you get there. Yeah, thank you. Matthew 26. <laughs> Verse 36, this is a prayer of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane before he's going to the cross. This is after they have the Last Supper and he goes into the garden to pray and uh, this very important part, if you did not hear Promise Bradley's message a few weeks ago on the pressing, you need to listen to that message. You need to listen to that message. She refers to the pressing and the Garden of Gethsemane being a place for the pressing. Oh, it's so good. I'm not going to re-preach it, but I'm going to give some nuggets here in the context of what we're talking about today. So then Jesus came with them, who's them, the disciples. To a place called Gethsemane. How many of the disciples were there? There were 11 at this time because he had already told Judas at the Last Supper, he said, go and do what you got to do. So Judas went to betray him. So it's just the 11, we'll assume, are there. Maybe some scragglers, but it doesn't say otherwise, so I'm going to say 11. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, the pressing, the wine, the, the press for the oil, not the wine press, sorry, the oil press, and said to the disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So Jesus comes into this place of pressing, and what does he do in a place of pressure? He says, sit here, disciples, I'm going to go pray over there. How many knows that if the Son of God needed to pray during some pressure situations, we might need to ourselves? So he's in the midst of of a pressure cooker, and what does he say? Well, let's sit here and talk amongst ourselves and decide how we feel about this situation. 
He didn't say, well, let me, hey, guys, how do you feel about this? How do you feel? I'll tell you how I feel. I feel pressured. He didn't say that. He didn't say, hey, can you guys start streaming through or kind of checking the feeds and see how people feel about my situation? He he didn't do any of that. He said, you sit here. Here's how I'm going to handle my pressure situation. I'm going to go pray over there. Prayer. We got to look for prayer. When we're in a pressure cooker, start praying more. So now verse 37. And he took with him. Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Now, hold on. We said there were eight of them. Jesus said, sit here. So he told them all to sit down. And then he said, Peter, James, and John, come with me. How would you like to be one of the other eight? Get left behind. Jesus, can't I come? Can't I come with you? Why has it got to be Peter, James, and John? Here's one of the things that we've got to get over in Christianity We've got this perception, this worldly perception that God is fair. I'm going to burst some bubbles. God is not fair. He's just. He does not take the time to coddle the other eight and tell them why he's taking Peter, James, and John. I, have, I don't have full awareness of why he took Peter, James, and John. I don't know why he selected them. I just know there was something that he did with them that was different than he did with the rest of them. Maybe it was something in them. Do you remember when James and John and their mom came to Jesus and said, can we sit on your right hand and your left hand? And Jesus said, well, if you want to, I, I can't decide that. My father will do that. But, but if you want to drink from the cup that I can drink of, you, you remember that? I went through that a little fast. But I don't know if there was something in Peter who said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God, when everybody else had nothing to say. There's something about Peter when everybody else stayed in the boat and Peter jumped out and said, tell me to come, I'll walk on the water. There's something different in Peter, James, and John that just drew them to a place of position of intimacy with Jesus. So these other eight can either be bitter and say, who do you think, they, who do they think they are? They're the teacher's pet, Right? That's what humanity will do. Humanity can't deal with other people. They want to drag them down so they feel better about themselves. And God is saying, get out of that, Christians. Get out of that mentality. Get some maturity about you and pursue him with all of your heart. You had a chance to get out of the boat too, but you chose to stay there. Don't mock him because he's sinking. Don't mock him because he's there. I was writing, uh, thinking the other day, and the Lord said uh, this to me. He said, I, I taught and I preached to the multitudes, right? Bunch of people. He sent out the 70. He poured himself into the 12, and he, re- re- he, he revealed his glory to the three. Mount of Transfiguration, who went up there and saw Jesus as he was with Moses and Elijah, Peter, James, and John? There's something about he took them a little further than these went. I can either criticize it or I can be hungry for it. You decide. You can complain to Jesus. You can nitpick at him. You can say, that's not fair, Jesus. I don't like you if you're going to do that. Or you can say, I'm hungry. I want to be with him. What do I need to be? It's our call. I believe it's our call. So anyway, he takes him. That's not what the sermon's about, but it's just a little nugget. Verse 38. No, I'm still with verse 37. He took two sons of Zebedee and he began. Who, Who began? He, Jesus. He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Who began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed? Jesus. You know what sorrowful means? It means full of sorrow. 
Sorry, that just <laughs> definition of humor. A little late. You're like, really? Yeah. No, it, really, it means sadness, heaviness, distress. In other words, deeply distressed is a Greek word that means upset, to struggle, anguish, or anxiety. Who are we describing here? Some person who's lost and outside of the will of God? We're talking about Jesus, the Son of God, is distressed, is feeling sadness, heaviness, upset, struggling, anguish, and anxiety. Wow, is that possible? That's what it says. Well, maybe that's just Matthew's perception of Jesus, but that's not really how he was. Verse 38. Then he said to them, Jesus, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Out of his own mouth, he said, I am surrounded with grief, sadness, deeply grieved. That's when he says that, that I am exceedingly sorrowful. It's the context that I am surrounded by grief. I'm surrounded on every side by distress and anxiety. That's what he told them. Now, what does he say to do? Now, now I want you to stay here and watch with me. Now, remember, he left the eight brought the three, then he tells them, hey, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death, stay here and watch. So he left them there and he left them here. Oh, I don't, I don't have time to go into all that. Sometimes, sometimes God's going to ask us to stay in one place. Sometimes he's going to bring us a little further and stay in another place. There's always a progression in our walk with Jesus and we have to be willing to go at the pace he gives us. Uh, never mind, we'll move on to that. Oh, Jesus, that was, that was staring wide. Verse 39, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. Okay, so what's the condition of Jesus? He's surrounded with grief and sadness. He's upset, he's struggling, filled with ang ang anguish, sadness, and heaviness. So is it possible, is, here's the possible, did, did, we, did Jesus always do the will of the Father? We establish that? Does he know what the will of the Father is? And he always does what pleases him, right? So is it possible, is it possible to be smack dab, this is what we would say, a smack dab in the middle of the will of God and still experience struggle, anguish, sadness, and grief? Is it possible? Usually we're rebuking that. But is it possible to be right where God asks you to be and still experience struggle, anguish, and grief? This is the part we've got to work through. We're addressing some challenging things right now because I believe God is wanting to bring his bride, the Christ, bride of Christ, the church, along to a place of greater maturity. The church is too weak in its state in general because we have forgotten that we were supposed to deal with struggle. We're supposed to deal with issues and challenges. But right now in the society we're living now, the first sign of any struggle or difficulty, we bolt. The first time my prayer doesn't get answered the way I want it answered, I'm out. The, worst, the first time it doesn't turn out the way I want it to turn out, when I want it to turn out, I'm out. Forget you, God. Say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Jesus was right where God wanted him to, do, wanted him to be at the time he wanted him to be there in the perfect will of God, and he still experienced anguish and sorrow and grief. Can we do that? I just want blessings. Me too. 
But I want the will of God more than I want blessing. If I've got the heart of God, then he will bring me to a place where there's anguish and grief and hurt. And it doesn't mean I'm failing or missing God. It doesn't mean he's abandoned me. It means right there, this is where I want you to press into me more to pursue me more. So what did Jesus do? What are we supposed to do when we feel that? You say, I'm I'm feeling that right now, Chad. What are we supposed to do? Well, Jesus was our example. What did he do? He went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. When we're dealing with that type of pressure and dealing with that type of adversity, then we got to be willing to go a little further than other people are willing to go. Fall on our face and pray to God. Where other people are wanting to quit and give up, you keep going. You keep going a little bit further. They stayed right there and they're stuck in their place of misery and distress. You go a little further and you fall on your face and you keep crying out to God. Well, what's going to happen then? I don't know. Fall on your face and keep seeking God. Well, I know, but when's it going to change? I don't know. Fall on your face and pray and see God. We're always looking for conditional responses to my obedience. And just obey. Just fall on your face and pray. Well, what's going to happen? I don't know. But just seek him. Because we've got to seek him for who he is and not what we want from him. Here's when I know that my prayer life is about me when I stop praying because it didn't happen the way I want it to happen. We've, we've created this imagery of prayer about God just supposed to do for me what I want him to do for me, when and how I want him to do for me. And if he doesn't, then I don't pray. I'll show you I won't pray. How does that show him? It doesn't change anything. It doesn't make him this passive-aggressive mentality. Oh, okay, God, that's what you're going to be? That's what you're going to do with these promises? Close it up, forget it. Who are, who, are we, who are we hurting? We're not hurting God. He's saying, listen, I want you to fall on your face, pray in that middle of the pressure cooker of your life. I want you to come a little further to me. That's what Jesus did. If the Son of God has to do it, Can you imagine Jesus, the Son of God? I can only think, if I would dream up what would happen when the Messiah came and went through this pressure cooker, I would imagine he would be saying, hey, disciples, it's all good. Don't don't worry, man, this is a done deal. I've been crucified before the foundations of the world. Don't worry about it, it's cool. Was he feeling that? Was he saying that? No. He's sweating drops of blood in anguish. Why? Because he's dealing with flesh. Jesus is? Look what he says. Look what he says. We got to cut it short. Went a little further and fell on his face and prayed. What did he say when he fell on his, on his face and prayed? He said, oh, my father. Oh, my father. Oh, my father. Oh, Abba. Oh, daddy. I'm crying out to my father. If it is possible, if it is possible, Jesus is saying these words to the Father. If it is possible, I can't imagine God praying to God saying, if it's possible. The word possible there just means, is there any scenario that's capable of happening, of existing? He said, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. If possible, Lord, let this pass, 
cup pass from me, but nevertheless, not as I will. In this moment, Jesus is giving God his preference. He's stating his preference. He's saying, Lord, if at all possible, that what you want to happen can happen without me doing this, I'm cool with it. Nevertheless, underline that word nevertheless. The word nevertheless is a contrastive conjunction. You know what conjunction is, right? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking up words and clauses and phrases. A contrastive conjunction suggests an oppositional thought to what it is connected to. What was was connected? Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, here's my preference, Father. Nevertheless, not my will. Jesus had a will. He wouldn't have said not my will if he didn't have a will. He said not my will, but your will be done. So he's saying, Lord, this is the way I prefer it. Nevertheless, no matter what happens, I choose you. Here's what I felt like God was saying, asking me, Chad, do I have a nevertheless from you? Do I have your nevertheless? That no matter what you prefer, you choose what I want for your life, every scenario, every situation, every circumstances. Do you have a nevertheless clause or conjunction in your life that even though this is what I really want, this is what I think's right, this is the job I think's right, this is the school I think's right, this is the spouse that I think's right, this is whatever that I think's right, do you have a nevertheless in your life that says not what I want, but what you want? If we don't have that nevertheless, then we go around trying to figure out our own life and doing what we want. And Jesus submitted himself. He submitted his earthly preference to the heavenly will. This is what God's asking us to do. Jesus showed us a model on how to have a preference and die to it to live for his will. So what I felt like the Lord was wanting to do today, and again, there's a lot of things that we didn't get to, and maybe we'll get to them another time. Maybe we won't. Who knows? I feel like the Lord's asking, does he have your nevertheless? Does he have your nevertheless worship, or does he have your preferential worship? God's wanting to raise up an army of believers in Christianity in the worldwide in the church that does not give up the first sign of stress and anguish and issues. We stand the test of time, just like the word that Sheena gave, that God is preparing a bride, and when I say that, preparing a church that's ready to do his will, even if it creates anguish and pressure situations, that we will not budge and go, oh, what is this difficulty and anguish and distress? what that was, but that was just me trying to avoid it, right? Isn't that what we try and do? Sometimes we try to avoid anything that's going to create conflict or pressure in our life. It's time to get over it. 
We don't have to look for that. We don't have to ask for that. We don't have to beg for that. We just yield our hearts to his will. And if those things come along with it, so be it. We're in it for him. I'm not in it for easy street. I'm not in it for the bless me train. I'm in it to do what you have called me to do the way you've called me to do it. And if it brings pressure, anguish, and difficult times, you will be with me. Because though weeping may endure for the night, joy comes in the morning. Jesus said, it was said of Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. He said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, I see Chad Everett. I see you. I see them. I see your children. That we would be the reward of his suffering. That he saw us and he said, Lord, oh, this is going to be tough. If there's any way possible we can do it without going through this, I'd, I'd prefer it. But nevertheless, not my will, Lord, but yours. We hope you enjoyed this message today and that you connected with Jesus. If this message has changed your life and you accepted Jesus as your Savior, you can text the word new life to the number 618-243-0900. We would love to celebrate with you. If you would like to give to the ministry of The Roads Church, visit our website, www.theroads.church, for all of our giving options. We would also like to invite you to subscribe to our YouTube channel to receive notifications of our Sunday live services and to discover more of Pastor Chad's teachings. And now we pray that you experience God's presence throughout your day.